God offers is grace and peace. And to those who are in Christ, to those who know Him, to know that our future is secure, what a delight, what a blessing that is. That our holy, righteous God offers grace and peace. And so in spite of all the, or the tones of all the sermons over the last several months, I want you to know something. I want you to know that I do not feel that we're living in a time of hopelessness and despair. For those who have Jesus Christ as Savior, there's no such thing or should be such a thing as hopelessness and despair. On the contrary, regardless of the news, regardless of the headlines, we are living in exciting times. And our God sits on His throne. The tomb is empty. We serve a risen Savior. He loves us. And by grace, He saves us. These are actually days of opportunity. And we should view them as such. Days of opportunity to share the gospel. Days of opportunity to minister. Days of effective ministry. Perhaps as never before. And we should be taking advantage of these times. It's absolutely not a time to despair, folks. It's a time to keep loving your God, loving your family, loving your church family, loving your country, having an attitude of rejoicing every single morning you get out of bed with the attitude of, this is the day that the Lord has made, I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. Every morning that you get out of bed, your attitude should be, here I come. I am God's ambassador. As I said last week, our enemy, the devil, Satan should think, oh no, they're awake. And wish that wasn't so. But folks, this morning, God is on His throne and realizing that He claims us as His own. I like that. God is on His throne. He claims you as His own. So why should we fear? Why should we fret? Why should we despair? There used to be a song that we would sing a lot. And it's, the song says, It will be worth it all. When we see Christ. You ever heard that song? It will be worth it all. When we see Christ. Life's trials will seem so small. When we see him. That's absolutely true folks. Millions. Millions of people are going to be praying this week. And especially on Saturday. I keep talking about this. Because I think it is a significant day. In the history of mankind. This coming Saturday, of course, I keep saying, you don't have to wait until Saturday to start praying. As a matter of fact, start praying this moment. But I think Saturday is going to be a significant day in the history of this nation, in the history of God's people. You can be assured that God hears, and He is going to hear millions of people praying out to Him to heal our land 
praying to bring a revival, to bring an awakening. You have to know that those prayers are going to be gladdening, gladdening the heart of God. Gladdening the heart of God. As we're on our knees, as we're on our faces, as we're crying out to Him, God hears. And I think the result is going to be one of two things. Maybe both things, I don't know. But one of two things for sure. As we pray, there's either going to be revival, there's going to be an awakening, because God hears and because prayer works, or the rapture is right around the corner, and everything that we're seeing is the hand of God moving and working, and all that's going on is part of God's ordained planned plan and purpose, that's what's underway. And, and maybe both. Revival's going to come and the rapture is going to happen. Nevertheless, we pray. And we pour our hearts out to God. And I encourage you to join with me this Saturday. The prayer time in, in uh, Washington, there at the mall, starts at 8 o'clock. And all during the day, every time you get a chance, stop and remember to pray. Pray for our, our country. Pray for this church. Pray for one another. Pray for our families. Pray for our young families in our church. Lift them up in prayer. Look at Romans chapter 8 this morning. I want to remind you a couple of things. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 as I say, there, this is not the time to despair. But Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 18. Tim, I gave you the wrong verse. Verse 18. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that delightful to know? Isn't that glorious to know? that the sufferings of this present time, and let me tell you, the Apostle Paul was suffering. What we're going through now is nothing compared to what these early believers were enduring and suffering. But yet they remained faithful. They stood firm on the promises of God and preached the truth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting with verse 16. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all the affliction that the Apostle Paul was suffering, but he calls it light. I'd call it who boy. He suffered, let me tell you. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
What a promise we have from God. What a delight we have knowing that we are His ambassadors, that He's called us to service. And in such a time as we're living in right now, we serve a risen Savior. He lives in our hearts. He's working in our lives. And we can trust Him. This morning we come before you preaching that Christ is our life. How many times have we talked about the fact that Christ is our life? That means He is the Lord of our homes. That means He's the Lord of our family. He's the Lord of our jobs. He's the Lord of each and everything that we do. He's in control. When Christ, who is our life, shall come, then shall we appear with Him in glory. The question is this morning, is He the Lord? Is He your life? And I pray that He is. And if He's not, God's salvation is offered to all who believe. Places their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. But He is the Lord of our homes. He's the Lord of our families. He's the Lord of our jobs. Everything we say and do needs to be done in such a way where we give credit and praise and glory to Him. Christianity is not about where we live our lives out here doing all our little activities and then occasionally we come and we say, oh, good morning, God. Oh, I need you now. When Christ, who is our life, And I pray this morning that He is your life. We sing the song, I Surrender All. And I pray this morning that as we sing that song, that that's just not something that you recite, and it's not just the words you repeat, but as we sing those type of songs, they're heartfelt. They bring tears to your eyes. I can hardly sing that song, I Stand in Awe of You. I can't hardly sing it. I I choke up every time. He's beautiful beyond description. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my sustainer. He is my deliverer. He is everything. Everything. And absolutely stand in awe of Him. Well, this morning, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of an Old Testament story. It's one of my favorite, And I've preached this before. It's been a long time. But I think today's headlines and all the things that are going on in our world today, I think we need to be reminded of this, of this story. One of my favorite favorite characters. King Jehoshaphat. You ever heard of Jehoshaphat? Well, as you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 17, I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 10. So keep this in mind as we're looking at Jehoshaphat and all that he was up against 
and what God led this man to do. I think that there are principles, I think that there are precepts that we as believers today, we need to be learning and taking from what was going on in Israel's history at that moment, and we need to be applying some of those principles of trusting, of courage, of faithfulness, being determined. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 11 says, Now all these things, he's talking about the Old Testament things. He's talking about Moses in the wilderness and him at the Red Sea and some of the things that Israel got into. But verse 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So these Old Testament stories, these Old Testament truths, these Old Testament happenings, here today in this present dispensation of the grace of God, we can read them, and there are precepts and principles of faithfulness and courage that we need to be applying to our lives. Second Chronicles, chapter 17, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. Now, his son is referring to Asa. Asa was Jehoshaphat's father or the king prior to him. What a king Asa was. God's word tells us that he pleased God that he was a good king. There were, very, there were no good kings in Israel, very few good kings in the southern kingdom in Judah, but there were some. Asa was one of them. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, we find Asa crying out to God. The army of Ethiopia was, was coming toward, the, to, toward Judah, the, toward the southern kingdom. And look what Asa's mindset was. Verse 11. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee and thy name, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. I don't know about you, but that's the scripture and the prayer that I'm going to be praying this Saturday. Matter of fact, probably every day between now and then. Lord, you're in charge. You are in control. Crying unto the Lord, there is, it is nothing with thee to help. Whether if it's against many or if it's against a few, Lord, you are in control. And the thing about Jeho- I, I mean, uh, Asa is he prayed this, then a prophet came to him and told him, he said, look, If you're for God, God's going to be for you. If you're against God, God's going to be against you. But here's what God is willing to do if you serve him, as you remain faithful, Asa. And Asa swore before God, he said, I'm I'm going to be faithful to you, God. And you know what God's word says? It said that people started coming from all over Judah because they loved those words. They loved what they were hearing. They loved the faithfulness. They loved the faithfulness of their king. 
And they came and they committed themselves to God. And what a difference. What a difference that made in Judah. It made such a difference that when Asa died and his son became king, his son was a good king. His son was an amazing king. Jehoshaphat. Asa had that kind of influence on Jehoshaphat. And if I keep saying that name, it's just because I like to say it. Jehoshaphat. Almost sounds musical. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. Folks, do you understand the full implication of that? Israel? God's chosen nation? Of course, we know this was the, southern, the northern kingdom, Samaria. And after the kingdom was divided between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel went after strange gods. They, went, they, they did horrible, despicable, evil, wicked things. And here is Judah, where Jerusalem is, with a good king. They're having to strengthen themselves against God's peculiar people, those that he desired to be his nation of priests. We find him having basically to strengthen himself against his kinfolks. Kind of gives you an idea of how bad things had gotten. When Jehoshaphat was doing this in verse 1, the king that was in Israel's name was Ahab. You ever heard of Ahab? He was a wicked, wicked king. As a matter of fact, God's word says that he was the most wicked. He was the most quick. He was more wicked than all of those wicked kings prior to him. That's pretty wicked. Do you know who he was married to? Jezebel. You ever, how many of you have ever heard of Jezebel? She was a wicked queen. Matter of fact, she was... Uh, Ahab went and did exactly what he was told not to do. Don't take a wife from these, these people, from these pagans, the Zidonians. And, but that's exactly what Ahab did. And so she led him astray. And it was Ahab and Jezebel that the prophet Elijah went to. And they had the confrontation with all the priests of Baal. And, and you know that story. That's a, it's a mighty story of God showing his might and power to Ahab. But unfortunately, it didn't faze this man. And he was still a wicked wicked king but Jehoshaphat did two things that are noteworthy one is he strengthened his defenses and the second he taught his people the word of God he was faithful to do that verse 2 and he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Verse 3, And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father 
and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Again, that is still shocking. That is still heartbreaking. To read, that's what's going on. When God had reached out His hand, He was merciful. He had blessed them. He had led them out of Egypt. He had done so much for them. Yet, from the, as soon as the kingdom was divided, as soon as Solomon had died, and the kingdom was divided between Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and, and Jeroboam, the uh, leader, Jeroboam, the Lord said, I will bless thee if you'll just faithfully serve me. And Jeroboam said, nah, it's not going to happen. He was a wicked king. Verse 5, therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor and abundance. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. By the way, that was not popular. Because there are still a lot of those in Judah that enjoyed that took pleasure in that sensual, heathenistic worship that was going on. And they didn't want him taking the groves out, but he still did what was right. Now, folks, that's leadership. That's leadership. Moreover, he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. He did what was right, not popular. Verse 7, in the third year of his reign, he sent to the princes, and it lists all of them, and he sent to them, and he asked them to go to teach in the cities of Judah. Now, these are the rulers, and he basically said, I want you teaching the people the truth of God's word. Jehoshaphat had them do that. He sent with these rulers, with these leaders of Judah, he sent with them the Levites. That's the priest came from the tribe of Levi. It lists all of them. Look at verse 9. What was the purpose of these leaders, these, uh, these princes, and these uh, spiritual leaders, these priests? And they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and went about throughout all of the cities of Judah and taught the people. Folks, keep that in mind because something is about to happen. Something is going to come about. And the thing that strengthens them, the thing that gives them courage is not the 1.6 million men of valor and soldiers they have in their arsenal. That's not the thing they're going to turn to. What we're going to see they turn to when bad times come, is the precious Word of God. It's the things that they had been taught. The things that people knew to be important. What could actually deliver? Verse 10 of chapter 17. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the land that were round about Judah so that they made no, more, no, made no war against Jehoshaphat. A healthy respect. See, God's word in Proverbs 16 7 says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies at peace with him. I love that scripture. 
When a man's ways please the Lord, he'll even make his enemies to be at peace with him. And Jehoshaphat, the way he was ruling, the way he was leading, he was doing everything that God wanted him to do. He was walking in the ways that God would have him walk. And all around him, all their natural enemies, all the ones that would normally come against them, it says that they witnessed, they were aware of the fact that it was God that was doing it. What an example. See, and that's what God intended all along, was for Israel to be that nation of priests, that peculiar people, that light unto the Gentiles, that nation that would stand strong and say, He is Jehovah. You want to know who the God is that created all of these planets and the stars and all that you see? You want to know who the one is that sustains us, that gives us strength? Why, His his name is Jehovah. He is the true and living God. Bow down and worship Him. That was God's intent. And here we find Jehoshaphat doing that for a period of time. Verse 11, I, I, I love verse 11. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents. The Philistines? Do we know of anybody that was popular with the Philistines? Goliath. The Philistines were nothing but a thorn in Israel's side for years and years and years. If you don't, ask, if you don't believe me, ask David. David could tell you. And I read this and it just says, and some of the Philistines even brought Jehoshaphat presents. They were respecting. God was honoring His faithfulness. And they brought tributes of silver. And the Arabians brought Him flocks. Seven thousands of seven hundred rams and seven thousand and seven hundreds of goats. As we read all through this, we find that God blessed Him with prosperity and with safety and with peace. You add up all of those mighty men of value, value, valor. You add up all those mighty men of valor. One, 1.6 million soldiers. Yet the soldiers weren't going to get the job done here in just a few minutes. Prosperity on one hand, safety on the other. God is on His throne. He's ruling and reigning in the affairs of His people. And it's because they were studying the Word of God. They were learning the Word of God. They were walking faithful before God. They understood their role before God. And God was blessing. Verse 19, chapter 17. And these waited on the king beside those whom the king put in the fence cities throughout all Judah. The nation of Judah was fortified. The nation of Judah was at peace. The nation of Judah was prosperous. Way to go, Jehoshaphat. That's good leadership. But oops, he does something that humanly speaking, it might make sense. And I'm telling you, the church and a lot of people I know will tell you that Compromise is the way to go. Human logic 
will dictate all that compromise. Well, we'll compromise here on the Word of God and we'll compromise there on our position and we'll, well, we'll just, it's all about give and take. Well, this is what Jehoshaphat did and boy, did it get him in trouble. Nearly got him killed. Matter of fact, it does get Ahab killed. Chapter 18. What a what a contrast. What a contrast in the direction that a nation should go. Learning God's word. Verse 1. From learning God's word to this. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. Well, that's okay. And join affinity with Ahab. I'm not going to take the time this morning, but go back and look at all the stuff that Ahab was into and all the stuff that he was doing. He was a bad dude. He was a wicked, wicked individual. Why would you do that, Jehoshaphat? He compromised with evil. As a matter of fact, we know that, that he compromised in three ways. In marriage, in war, and in business. Let me tell you something. You don't compromise with evil in any of those three things. Certainly not in marriage. Certainly not in business. Certainly not in war. Because it will get you destroyed. Yet that's what Jehoshaphat did. Verse 2, And after certain years he went down to Ahab, to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance. Boy, I'm sure that was impressive. I'm sure that was wonderful. I am sure that that made him go, Wow, look at me, I am somebody. Let's impress this king of Judah. And for the people that he had with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. And Ahab king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art and my people as thy people. And we will go with thee in the war. No, 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 Jehoshaphat. Don't do this. Don't do this. Matter of fact, Jehoshaphat's son, who's going to be a wicked king after him, he's going to end up marrying one of Jehoshaphat's, I mean, one of uh, Ahab's daughters. And that's part of what comes out of this. And oh, that son just goes down the tubes quickly. Judah goes down the tubes quickly after that. Will you go with me to fight this battle? Verse 4, And Jehoshaphat said unto king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Jehoshaphat says, yeah, I will go with you. Your people are the same as my people, and, and, and we'll, we'll go to war with you. But can we pray about it first? Can we pray about it first? And Ahab says, yeah, I, I've got some prophets. I, I'll call these prophets. And so he calls all the prophets in. And all these prophets say, yeah, do it. Let's go fight. We're going to win. You're, you're going you're to win this battle. Do this. 
And Jehoshaphat had enough sense to say, but do you have a prophet that represents the Lord, that represents Jehovah? And that's interesting what, what uh, Ahab says. Oh, you want one of them. You, well, there is one, but he never prophesies on my behalf. He never says good things about me. And Jehoshaphat said, well, you think maybe you could call him and let's talk to him? And sure enough, this prophet, he, he says, yeah, you go ahead and you go. You, you do that. You do this. And Ahab knew he was being facetious. Why do you always do that? Why do you always teach against me? Why do you always prophesy against me? Well, because you're evil. Because you're wicked. And you know the story how uh, they, they went up and, and to Ramoth Gilead and to, to war, to fight. And Ahab tells Jehoshaphat, he said, oh, by the way, here's how we're going to fight this battle. You leave on your kingly attire, but I'm going to dress like a common soldier. We're going to fool them, right? You, you dress in your kingly garb. I'm just going to put on a common, I'm going to kind of be a, in secret. And that way, uh, I'll live, and if anybody dies, it'll be you, Jehoshaphat. And so they go to battle, and the king of, of Ramoth Gilead had, had told them, uh, he said, look, don't worry about the regular soldiers. You look to kill the kings. You, you get after the kings. And so they came to war looking for the kings. And they were fighting and they were battling. And one of the soldiers just went, oh. and guess who it hit? Ahab. And he got out of there and he died. He died. And Jehoshaphat barely escaped with his life, but he got back to Judah, back to the people who loved him, back to his home, and he's met with a prophet. He's met by a prophet that basically says, that was a no-no. Don't you do that. Verse 5 of chapter 19. <laughs> this compromise nearly gets Jehoshaphat killed. Chapter 19, verse, verse 2. And Jehu, the son of Hanina, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, and that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and have prepared thy heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. See, that's what repentance is all about. Turning from the direction you're going, seeing the error of your ways, realizing that this was not pleasing to God. And he said, I don't want to do that anymore. Verse 5, he sets judges throughout the land and he builds the fenced cities up again and he teaches the people from the Word of God and he sets these judges and he said, you, you 
You rule, you judge, but you realize, you understand that you're doing it in the name of Jehovah, the God of all creation. Verse 9 of chapter 19. And he charged them saying, Thus shall you do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. So they teach and they judge. Verse 11. God's Word says that Jehoshaphat tells them to deal courageously, the last part of that verse, to deal courageously and the Lord shall be with the good. See, that's what repentance brings about. Realizing your error, realizing I was wrong, realizing that, that I did what was not pleasing to God and I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to do what God would have me to do. By the way, by the way, it doesn't do any good for a lost person to repent. Did you hear me? It's only saved people that change their direction and understand. A lost person can repent and change his direction and say, I'm going to get better, I'm going to do better. But a lost person, he can change his ways a thousand times thinking he's going to do it, but he stands lost Condemned before God. Repentance is for those who know God, who have been redeemed by God, for them to change their ways. God honors that repentance. And until a person comes to know Christ, until a person has been made a new creation, just changing your lifestyle, changing your direction, it's not going to do a bit of good until God changes your heart. And that happens when by faith... You trust Christ. So Jehoshaphat gets back and he is, he is preaching, he is teaching this people. Chapter 20. And I think this is part of the consequences of disobeying God. There was a price to pay. Remember before they were, they were being blessed. Their enemies, the Philistines, were sending them sheep and cattle and money and, and all sorts of blessings were coming to them. Look at chapter 20 real quick. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them others beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now these were also relatives. Keep that in mind. The children of Lot and Esau what these tribes represent or these people group of people represent then there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying there comes a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea and on this side Syria and behold they be in Hazaz Tamar which is in Gedi and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea he knew what to do he knew what the answer was when there was something to cause fear, when there was something to cause distress, when there was something to cause anxiety, when there was something that was about to happen and you understood you had no control over it, forget the fact you had 1.6 million soldiers with this group of people coming, you were just going to be delaying the inevitable unless, unless God intervenes.
And folks, that's what we're praying. Lord, have your way. Lord, we need you to intervene. Have your way. Your will be done. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he prays a prayer. And the prayer that he prays is the prayer that Solomon declared when the temple was dedicated. Solomon prayed a prayer and the Lord said, I'm going to honor to Solomon. I'm going to honor that prayer. And whenever there's calamity, whenever there is difficulty, when it all comes against my people, if my people shall pray and humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will heal their land, is what Jehoshaphat is remembering. And that's what he's praying. He's reminding God of God's promise. Now this is to Judah. It was to Israel before the kingdom was divided. It was to God's people. But I'm telling you folks, there is a principle. There is a precept. There is a truth there embedded in the hearts of God's people that we need to understand the importance of prayer and serving God and turning from our wicked ways. And if there was ever a nation that needs to turn from its wicked ways, it's this one right here. It's this country. It's this nation. It's to the point where it hates God and it hates anything to do with God. And what does God tell them to do real quick? Verse 6, And said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not over all the kingdoms of the Gentiles? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and you gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever. And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If, when evil comes upon us, as the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house." and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not, you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not, because God said, don't do it. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are upon you. 
and all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. Hey, they made this a family thing, which I think is important. These leaders were setting the example. They had their children with them. They were making sure their children understood that it's not with these mighty men of valor. It's not by swords. It's not with chariots. It's not with spears. It's with prayer that's going to change the outcome. I think it's significant with their little ones, their wives, and their children learning that they were at the mercy of God. And God answers that prayer. Verse 15, He tells them through His prophet that the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Folks, I'm here to tell you the battle is not ours. It's God's. We fight. We preach. We speak. Understanding that we belong to Him. That everything we say and do should be done in such a way to glorify the God of heaven. God tells them to do something so phenomenal. He didn't say, sharpen your swords. Get your spears pointed. Get your chariots primed and ready. He says, I want you to stand still. I want you to see the salvation of the Lord. Verse 18, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. Oh, that our leaders would do that. Would they take and just cast off all the ego, all the pride, all that's inside and realize where our help truly comes. Why this nation has been blessed. Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Not bombs and bullets and power. But righteousness. Jehoshaphat bows his head before the Lord and all Judah and the inhabitants of Judah Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then they stood up and they praised God. Verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers. Singers? Hey, if I got a battle that I want to fight, you know who I don't want? Singers. Oh, okay. Sorry, Serenity. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean. God had appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. Oh, that we would do that as a nation. Oh, that we would understand where this nation has come from, what we have stood for. And they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord forever. See, endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Folks, I'm telling you, I expect... 
And it is with gladness and it is with certainty that we're going to see the hand of God working in this nation in the next few weeks. I am certain that we're going to see a working of God that's going to cause us to rejoice, that's going to cause us to praise Him. Now, I'm not saying everything's going to be hunky-dory. I'm not saying that everything is going to go the way we want it to go, but I'm going to tell you this. When God's people pray, God is going to be glorified. He is going to be exalted. And I can trust in that. Even if I have to decrease, I want Him to increase. My life is His. So it's with excitement. It's with certainty that I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I can trust Him. I had a song, not that I was going to sing it, but we'll skip that, maybe play it in the future. The name of the song is Jesus is Lord of All. Just keep that in mind this week. All my troubles... You remember the other words. Janet, you can sing it. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that you are indeed Lord of all. All of our tomorrows, all of our futures. Father, you're in control. And how thankful I am this morning that we have eternity to praise you and thank you for the work that you're doing this very moment in our lives as you're molding and shaping us and preparing us for that home in eternity. Father, I thank you that you're working in our lives to conform us to the image of your Son so, Father, it's with gladness and excitement that we say, bring it on. Thanking you for the salvation we have. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that's never trusted you as Savior, Father, may this be the moment that by faith they believe. And we pray these things. In Christ's holy and most precious name, who shed His blood, that I might be saved. Thank you for that. Amen.